the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. Hey, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on this free-for-all Friday. The program, of course, is Crosswalk. It really is the intersection of Christian faith and Christian living. This is where doctrine meets duty and belief meets behavior. This is the program with you in mind, where we try to ask and find answers to the questions that you care the most about. And on Free For All Fridays, of course, we talk about, well, everything. And if you want to join me on the program, it's 303-873-1935. 303-873-1935. It's kind of an AMA, Ask Me Anything, 303-873-1935. And of course, um, Producer John will ask you what your question is or your comment, and we'll make every effort to get your question on the air. I was going to talk a little bit about um, progressive, what, what some are calling progressive Christianity. And I also wanted to talk a little bit about um, a passage of Scripture about um, what it means to not go beyond what's written. And I think these two things have something in common. So we'll get right to it. 303-873-1935. I think I want to begin, though, with 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, to set the stage. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, it taught... Paul talks about not going beyond what is written. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul describes the nature and the work of what it means to be a true apostle. And in verse 6, he says, Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written, then you won't be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. So it's not entirely clear where that saying came from, do not go beyond what is written. But it's obvious that the Corinthian believers were familiar with the statement, and it's also obvious that Paul has something in mind when he says it. Now, some people speculate that it refers to the Old Testament quotations that Paul has referenced previously, like in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, where he says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment 
of the discerning I will thwart. And then he repeats in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, he says, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ? Or even the theological statements he's written up to that point in the letter. Most likely, though, it almost certainly refers to the general principle that everything a believer does should be passed on biblical truth or should be based on biblical truth. In saying, do not go beyond what is written, Paul wants his readers to understand that the words and the teachings of Scripture are ultimately sufficient and true. What does this have to do with progressive Christianity? It has everything to do with progressive Christianity because so many people in so-called progressive Christianity will say, we need to go beyond the Bible, beyond the doctrine, beyond, and then fill in the blank. So truth isn't dependent on the personality or charisma of those who teach, in part, seems to be what Paul is saying. In the first century, the Corinthian church was full of a lot of problems, including factional divisions and favoritism. And some in the church only wanted to follow or listen to certain Bible teachers or certain leaders like Paul or Apollos rather than Christ alone. So as a result of their sectarianism, it appears that some of the believers conducted themselves in a way that went beyond what was appropriate for followers of Jesus. We might say that they were listening to the words of their preferred teacher or leader more than they were to the words of Scripture itself. And so Paul challenged this mindset among the, uh, the Corinthian believers by stating his desire among them wasn't to know anything except for Christ and Christ crucified. And so it's interesting to me that when I read a column that was recently posted by Jason Jimenez. He's a, a blogger and a writer for what's called the Worldview Bulletin. And he rightly says this. He says, by the 1990s, many modernists and moderates and liberal Christians with postmodern leanings began to coalesce. And then he writes that the group would quickly self-identify as progressive Christians. And in 1994, Episcopal priest James Adams founded what was called the Center of Progressive Christianity. In 2010, the organization was renamed ProgressiveChristianity.org. And then soon afterwards, uh, ProgressiveChristianity.org partnered with liberal Christian theologians, and uh, retired Episcopal Bishop John Sh Shelby Spong, who, um, to dismantle uh, 
or actually not to dismantle, to disseminate Spong's online work. Now, Bishop John Shelby Spong is a heretic. He is a perverse heretic. And so ProgressiveSpirit.com would begin to circulate his book, and a new Christianity for a new world was this pivotal piece of literature in progressive Christianity. And then Jimenez goes on at the article at Worldview. This is, by the way, at the Worldview Bulletin. He goes on and he says, uh, by the year 2000, emergent church leaders, and that's a whole other issue about emergent church leaders, and I can talk about the so-called emergent church movement. But it was led by people like Tony Jones and Brian McLaren, and they began to capture and publish content for the, the the people who lean both theologically and politically liberal. And McLaren wrote a book called A New Kind of Christian in 2001, and then he wrote another book called A Generous Orthodoxy in 2004. The problem with A Generous Orthodoxy, it was a little too generous because it goes way beyond what is written. So I think Jimenez writes nicely, and he says, in a nutshell, most progressive Christians will align with these beliefs. And then he has these bullet points. Number one, they're reclaiming the truth through postmodern thought. And what they're doing, in effect, isn't reclaiming the truth through postmodern thought, they're dismantling and abandoning the truth by making the category of truth itself incoherent. But I'll have more about this. 303-873-1935. I'll be right back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. The number is 303-873-1935. Before we went to the break, I was talking about a column in Worldview Bulletin by Jason Jimenez. And he's talking about progressive Christianity, and I want to focus on a couple of things. And like I said, in 1994, there was an Episcopal priest named James Adams who founded what was called the Center for Progressive Christianity. It highlighted and um, advocated for uh, teachings that were literally outside of historical biblical Christianity. And then um, he talks in the column about Brian McLaren, who wrote A New Kind of Christian and A Generous Orthodoxy. But in this new kind of Christian and this generous orthodoxy, he's basically, I'm going to use the term profiling a journey to apostasy. So, Jimenez points out in his article, and I think rightly so, he says, in a nutshell, most, not all, but most progressive Christians will align with some of these or all of these beliefs. Number one, they're reclaiming the truth through postmodern thought, that is, by deconstructing truth, by embracing the idea of cultural constructs. And number two, mankind did not inherit a sin nature from Adam and Eve. So imagine they embrace 
the non-biblical view that human beings are born in sin and that they inherit this sin nature from Adam and Eve, what Roman Catholics would call uh, original sin um, and what other people have called the sin nature. And number three, that the Bible has errors and has been altered many times, and most of it is to be interpreted metaphorically. This is what progressive Christianities, uh, progressive Christians believe. So they believe, number one, the Bible has errors. Number two, that it's full of what's called interpolations and extrapolations. That's the idea that people have put stuff in or taken it out. And so they come to the conclusion that you're supposed to understand it metaphorically. And then they they also come to the conclusion that many paths make up the oneness of God, and then they advocate for social justice. In other words, for them, social justice is the gospel. And so when you place the term progressive in front of Christian, some people say, oh, that means new and improved, just like when you come up with the political term progressive. Now, progressive can mean, it can serve as a synonym for socialism. And so progressive acts as though it belongs in the same camp as biblical Christianity, but it doesn't embrace the fundamentals, what I'm going to call the essentials of Christianity. And so Jimena says, let me put it bluntly, and I think he does a great job. He says, quote, progressive Christians are doctrine deniers. They deny the beliefs, creeds, and doctrinal statements of historic Orthodox Christianity. They make it sound like doctrine gets in the way of our truly knowing Jesus. You'll hear them use phrases like freeing Jesus from the doctrine or not restricting or limiting Jesus to the doctrine or doctrine is not the way to know who, who, who Jesus truly is. And then he quotes Diana Butler Bass, who was a mentor to Jen Hatmaker, who, and writes in Freeing Jesus, quote, I appreciate the theological tradition surrounding the Christ of faith, yet neither historical scholarship nor conventional doctrine quite capture who Jesus is for me. The skepticism bred by one and the submissiveness inculcated by the other do not fully tell the story of the Jesus I know, the Jesus of experience. So now we talk about not going beyond that which is written. In other words, what she's saying is, I want a Jesus... I want a Jesus who who goes beyond the Bible. Now, again, the way that I would respond to that kind of statement, it would be it's possible that Jesus is more than what the Bible says, but it's not possible that Jesus is less than what the Bible says. And so 
Alistair McGrath, he quotes Alistair McGrath saying, quote, at the heart of the Christian faith stands a person, not a doctrine, but a person who gives rise to doctrine. The moment we begin to wrestle with the question, who is Jesus Christ? The idea that we can somehow worship, adore, or imitate Jesus Christ without developing doctrines about him is indefensible. And then he says, quote, progressive Christians treat orthodoxy. Now, when you hear that word orthodoxy, think right doctrine. And then orthopraxy, that means right living, as though they exist at opposite ends of a spectrum. But you cannot know how to live if you do not have the moral truth that teaches you what is right. And so, again, when you go back to um, this idea that Diana Butler Bass says, um, that she she says, I want to go beyond the Jesus of the Bible. So now we talk about not to go beyond what is written. So what does that mean? What does it mean in in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6? I think, like I said earlier, that it probably refers to a general principle that everything a believer does should be based on biblical truth. And so the way you think about it is if it's going to be based on biblical truth, then you have to have a high view of what the Bible says. And so when Paul says, do not go beyond what is written, Paul is warning his readers to understand that the words and the teachings of Scripture are ultimately sufficient and true. And so I think, it must in part mean not to go beyond what is written means to focus on Jesus and his word above all else. It means that you can trust what the Bible says and the answers that it provides and the truth that is given in order to lead a holy and pleasing life before God. And so now we begin to understand a little bit better what it says in Second Peter um chapter 2 verse 1 uh chapter 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence and in fact the last chapter of the bible warns not add or take away from the inspired words of God. And so, beware, beware when people tell you, well, I want something more. I want something more than the Jesus of the Bible. Well, what do you mean by that? And who is that? 303-873-1935. I'll be back. This is Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. I'm gonna shout it. I'm gonna live my hand. 
Welcome back to Free For All Friday. If you'd like to join me on the program, it's 303-873-1935, 303-873-1935. So I've been talking a little bit about uh, what I'm calling progressive Christianity and what other people have called progressive Christianity. And they talk about uh, politically progressive Christianity or theologically progressive Christianity. And so that term can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And so by some definitions, progressive Christianity is compatible with biblical faith. Now, again, it all depends on who's doing the definition. And when you're talking about what I call essential <clears throat> essential doctrine or essential Christianity. And so what is that? What What is essential Christianity? And the reason why I talk about this so much is because it's neglected so much. And so the so the essential doctrines are what we might call the key doctrines of the Christian faith. They're the teachings, the core teachings of the Bible that have defined Christianity for the last 2,000 years. And virtually all Christians who seek to have faith, you, you, you would hope that they're looking for a biblical faith based on biblical doctrine. Now, You've probably heard the statement by Rupertus uh, Meldinius, who said, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. And so we can identify the essential doctrines of the Christian faith by looking at the core truth as it's revealed in the Bible. So the essential doctrines are those that have to do with who God is and who Jesus is, and then God's love for his people and his desire to save them. So if you're wrong about God and you're wrong about Jesus, then the chances are you're going to be wrong about salvation. And this is why I repeatedly say it doesn't matter what you're right about if you're wrong about Jesus. And so some definitions classify progressive Christianity as contrary to Scripture or self-defeating. In most cases, but not all, the term is typically associated with an unbiblical perspective. So when progressive implies an evolving, a drastically changing theology, listen carefully, it's invalid. It's not true. The Bible says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So is the Jesus that's referred to in the New Testament proclaimed by the apostles and recorded in the Bible, is there a different Jesus? We know that people come up with different Jesus. For the Mormon, he is the spirit brother of Lucifer. For 
the Jehovah's Witness, he's the Archangel Michael. For the New Age movement, he's an ascended master. For for the Raelians, who are a UFO cult, Jesus is an alien who's come to the planet Earth to show us a better way. And so, political terms vary over time. So people will talk about progressive politics. Now, a lot of Democrats like to refer to themselves as progressive. But from my perspective, progressive becomes a euphemism for socialism. In the modern West, the term progressive is broadly associated with the desire to improve society. So when a person says, well, here's what I mean when I say progressive, I want to improve culture. I want to improve society. Okay, how do you plan to do that? By upending government. So progressivism is often associated with things like social justice, environmentalism, and socialism. So while there are variations on these concepts, while some can follow some biblical ideals, modern progressivism typically aligns with a non-biblical view of life, sexuality, gender, and family. That's why the progressive can consistently advocate for abortion on demand, that you are whatever you think you are as far as sexuality is concerned, and that a family isn't a man and a woman and their children. It's whatever family you wind up with. So in recent decades, implications of that label progressive have changed dramatically. Believers of prior generations would have considered the idea of of improving society as a noble goal. But not every social change is compatible with God's intent for humanity. And in some cases, progressive groups aren't just simply different. In many cases, they become toxic towards the culture. So imagine for the individual Christian, for their family, for their country. So a born-again Christian can legitimately believe in a collective responsibility to exercise proper stewardship for the environment, exercise justice, care for the disadvantaged. Those ideas in and of themselves are not unbiblical to call for justice, to care for the, the disadvantaged, those, those are noble things. So in one sense, some Christians may label themselves po- politically progressive. However, they wind up taking on the identity that goes along with the unbiblical concepts that are tied to that term 
So when secular political preferences begin to steer a person's belief about God and then about Jesus and then about salvation, and it isn't the God of the Bible, and it isn't the Jesus of the Bible, and it isn't salvation as it's outlined in the Bible, you formed a brand new religion. And so as political progressivism has grown and it's tried to square with the claims of the Christian faith. So imagine people go, well, where is that in the Bible? And and what does that mean to me as a Bible-believing Christian? And so the greatest difference between political progressivism and progressive theology is that the latter is wholly incompatible with the Bible. By the way, good theology isn't guaranteed to remove doubtful issues. What do, what do I mean by that? Well, these are the things that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 14, verse 1, where it says, as for the one who's weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrels over opinions. Another way of saying it is, not to fights over things that are subject to dispute. And I'll talk about that in just a moment. 303-873-1935. I'll be right back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. Again, the number is 303-873-1935. Um, I've been fond of um, the definition of politics, the three-word definition of politics, truth in community. So the difference, again, between political progressivism and progressive theology is that progressive theology is wholly incompatible with the Bible. Good theology, as I pointed out earlier, by the way, if you want to call me, it's 303-873-1935. Good theology isn't guaranteed to remove doubtful issues, because guess what? Paul was a brilliant theologian. And he basically says in John chapter 14, verse 1, that as for the one who's weak in the faith, welcome him, but not to disputes over things uh, that are doubtful. And so what Paul does in Romans chapter 14, he deals with the problem of questionable things in the Christian life. And so what do you do? What do you do? What do you do when sincere Christians disagree about personal practices? Paul recognizes that in each local church, there are mature believers, we, who, we that are strong, as well as immature, him that is weak. And that those two groups might disagree on how a Christian is to live. The Jewish Christians want to cling to special holy days and dietary laws. They're looking for feasts and fasts. They're looking for 
rules and rituals. So the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians are trying to come to grips with both their freedom and their traditions. Christian liberty wasn't supposed to be licensed to offend Jewish brothers and sisters. So many Christians have this false notion that extreme legalism, observing days and diets, shows strong faith. Paul argues that just the opposite is true, that people who are committed to days and diets, they're the ones who are hypersensitive. And so it's the Christian who's mature in their faith who recognizes truth. And so he talks about, am I fully convinced about what's at what the subject is? Can I do this as unto the Lord? Will it stand the test of time at the judgment seat? Am I causing other people to stumble? Can I do this by faith? Am I doing this to please myself or please others? And so we get that a person's approach to theology is either correct or incorrect. So imagine you say something like, Well, God's word means what it means, and it says what it says. And so you ask and you answer the question. These are all hermeneutical questions in the sense of the, it's the science and art of biblical interpretation. What does it say? What does it mean? And what does it mean to me? Convoluted rejection of clear biblical teaching. So imagine if the Bible calls something sin, And somebody says, well, it's not really sin. Or about sexuality or sexual expression or salvation or the sanctity of life or the biblical meaning of the family or morality or the nature and scope, the the authority and sufficiency of Scripture. So guess what? You don't progress towards the truth. The truth is a fixed notion. Here's what I, the way I would put it. You're either walking towards the truth or you're walking away from the truth. Truth does not progress or develop. It exists. Truth does not progress or develop. It exists. And you either come closer to it or you move further away. And so progressive theology broadly rejects the historic view of the Bible. And by historic view, I mean the view of its authority, its intelligibility, its sufficiency, its inerrancy. And so progressive theology, once it begins to abandon the historic view of the Bible, then it can abandon what the Bible says about Jesus, about salvation, about eternal life. And so they begin to discard certain concepts like biblical inspiration, like the authority and the inerrancy of the scripture, 
or like the preservation of the Bible. By that, I mean not only just simply what was written, but that it was preserved in such a way that it is intelligible, valuable, believable, credible. Progressive-minded readers may attempt to insert their ideas, opinions, into passages where ideas were never meant to be found. One of the very first rules of hermeneutics, how you're going to interpret the Bible, it can never mean what it never meant. Let me repeat that. The Bible can never mean what it never meant. That's called eisegesis. Eisegesis isn't studying the text, talking about what the text means in its context, and then applying that text. Eisegesis is a term, well, when we think about exegesis and eisegesis, exegesis and eisegesis are two conflicting approaches to Bible study. Exegesis is the exposition and then explanation of a text based on careful, objective analysis The word exegesis literally means to lead out of, and that means that the interpreter is led to his conclusions by following what the text says. The opposite of that is eisegesis. I say tongue-in-cheek that these are the people who begin with the text, leave the text, and then never return to the text. So the opposite of exegesis is eisegesis, which is the interpretation of a a passage based on a subjective, non-analytical reading of the text. So the word eisegesis literally means to lead into, which means that the interpreter injects his or her own ideas into the text, making it say whatever he wants it to say. So obviously only exegesis can do justice to the text. And eisegesis constitutes a mishandling of the text. So why am I saying all of that? Because the progressive may dismiss certain texts as ideas that are outdated. The LGBTQ commercial can condemn all of those passages that condemn homosexual behavior as being clobber verses meant to hurt the LGBTQ community. Nothing could be further from the the truth. Passages call people to repentance and then to trust Jesus as the Savior. Basically, guess what? Truth has no tribe. You are either a member of truth or you're not a member. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.